Father, I, I am cognizant this morning, every time I get up actually and lead us in study of John or whatever it is that you're saying, um, the, the importance of opening your word and uh, but also the, the the joy of it and the cleansing power that it has. We've been looking at being washed in the water of the word and yet I'm also mindful of um, just the caution in scripture that those who teach will have a, a stricter judgment and uh, and so um, I don't pretend to stand here with my answers and my opinions and uh, but rather we want to hear from you and so I thank you for your grace as Paul says we're just earthen vessels we're just clay pots or plastic jars <clears throat> that hold the priceless treasure of the word of God that the excellency of the power may be of you and not of us I'm not here to impress or entertain this morning necessarily but uh, although there's there's a lot to learn and, and, and the, the word of God is always very engaging uh, for those of us who have spiritual appetites but, uh, but we want to learn from you uh, we, we want to hear from you and, and by your Holy Spirit so I pray you would do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so chapter 13. We're starting that. This is the first section of chapter 13. And uh, we've looked uh, pretty intensely at verse 1, right? Verse 1 really sets the tone for the rest of the, of the chapter. Uh, actually, first three verses there, that the Lord Jesus is on his way back to the Father, right? We often... Sometimes we, we talk about the finished work of Christ about this past week. And I was thinking to myself, why is it that we sort of, maybe in our thinking, we sort of just stop at the cross. You know, we look at the cross, we emphasize the cross so much. And it's, if, if you're not careful in your thinking, you can almost walk away with the idea that Jesus just finished whatever he had to do from the Father and just went on vacation after that, right? That's not at all the case. And John when he says that, that Jesus had, knowing that his hour had come to depart this world to go to the Father, he doesn't say knowing that his hour had come to go to the cross, right? The, the, this, this redemptive work, and this has really gotten me sort of rethinking the, the purpose of the cross and how it fits into the larger plan of God's redemption, right? The cross isn't everything. The cross is 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 very, very important and necessary part, but it's not sufficient for our salvation. Do you hear that? It's not sufficient for our salvation. We don't trust in the cross. We trust someone who went there, right? And he is now done, well, he's going to be uh, in a few days, done with the cross and then the resurrection. He's going to prove his resurrection to his disciples and teach them things about himself in the Old Testament scriptures. He's going to open that to them and then he's going to go back to the Father, right? And that's the Holy Spirit. And then and and the result of that, because again, they see him depart, but they don't see him arrive, right? So, how do you make the invisible visible? By its effects. The effect of his arrival in heaven is the is the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? See how he told him. He told him that. He tells him that. That's right. And it's, the Holy Spirit is when we get there. I've got us. I'm, I'm already preparing. Holy Spirit about what we've done. Um, it's, it's, it's really great uh, when you do a survey what the what the Gospel of John has to say about the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, how he, man, we could go on for a long time talking about the Holy Spirit. But but when we get there, um, this, these, this discourse 
the Lord introduces them. He uses that word helper three times, parakletos, and, and what does that mean and so forth. But the coming of the Holy Spirit is an effect of Jesus going back to heaven. Uh, we're studying Hebrews in this uh, men's uh, study that we go to um, Buck's brain here. And, and, um, and it's, I've been through Hebrews a number of times, but having been intensely through John like this, and now I'm beginning to really see it through some different eyes, different perspective, you know, uh, how much, uh, you know, really the point of Hebrews is, is uh, to, to um, expand on this idea to particularly Hebrew Christians, right? That's the name uh, that Jesus, the Jesus who came, the Messiah who came is actually better than this Messiah that they were expecting or told to expect. That makes sense. Yeah. So remember their their messianic view, or no, sorry, their triumphalistic messianic view that the mess the messiahs would come and triumph over over the the curse of nature and over their enemies, all of that. Uh, that's what they were really gung ho about, right? And excited as they welcomed him into Jerusalem and throwing the the uh, cloaks down and waving the greeneries around, uh, reminiscent of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, as they, that's what they have in their minds, right? So Hebrews is there to show how much better this Jesus is, the real one, the one that came from the Father, than the one they were told to expect. And how superior he is to the angels, how much better this new covenant is in his blood than the old covenant. Right? But one of, the, one of the things in Hebrews that it picks up on is, is his finished work. All right, so John here in verse 1 says, that his hour had come to depart in this world and go back to the Father. Well, what is he going to do when he gets there? He's not going to just sit down, prop his feet up, and, boy, I'm glad that's done, right? He continues his work, right? And Hebrews tells us he is our great high priest who went into the temple, not the one, not the image, the, the model, if you will, on earth, but the real one in heaven, right? Remember when Moses was told to build the tabernacle, he was, he was told, build it after the pattern you've seen, right? The real one, if you will, where God actually dwells is in heaven. And so the one on earth is, a, is a, just a model of that. And so the writer of Hebrews says that he went to that one. Unlike the earthly priests in the order of Aaron, right, who are sinners themselves have to offer sacrifices for their own sin and the sins of the people, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. Our, our high priest went into the... The, before the throne of God's justice and offered his own blood, right? Offered his own sacrifice, offered himself. And he does that continually. He's, he, and, and if you read Hebrews, it says that, you know, the, the contrast, the continuation of Aaron up to a point, right? Where it was ended. We're not doing that anymore. But but the, the priesthood of Jesus continues now where he intercedes for us, right? He offers, it's, it's not to say, the imagery there is not to say he keeps, Offering blood to the Father, actual blood, right? But but it's a picture of his his payment for our sin, right? And his atoning work, which is a priestly work that he did, um, continues to come as you and I fail, right? And when we go to, we have time in our service for for reflection and repentance, and when, and you don't have to wait for the service, right? I hope you're doing that all the time, as Bruce said. Uh, repentance is the maintenance of the Christian life. It's like grieving. You should be doing it because we are we are our are, are former sinners 
who are being worked by God toward sainthood, right? And, and, and looking more and more like Christ and less and less, of, at least we should be. Yeah. If we're that's not, right. That's right. then we should be asking that question, am I really saved? Right? So anyway, that's that's a lot, I know. But I've just been reflecting on this this past week, and, and Hebrews is playing into that. So we've looked at these first three verses. That's point number one in our outline. Jesus, uh, John sets the stage for the upper room discourse. The beauty of Jesus contrasted with the ugliness of Judas, right? And verse two is just, just, you know, we see the shining diamond of the example of the self-sacrificing, self-defacing, uh, humble love of the Lord of glory, contrasted love for others, right? For his father first and then for others. Again, he's modeling, he, he always models for us everything he tells us to do, except for confession of sin, right? And even there, he gives you a, a model prayer to use. But here he is loving the Father, right? First and greatest commandment, and then loving his disciples. And remember, love is invisible. And how do you make the invisible visible? Right. Lots of effects. So love gives, right? And in this case, he gives them service. He washes their feet. And that beautiful image is contrasted against the ugly, stark, self-serving, um, uh, self-promoting, grasping. Uh, I think of uh, that. I love Charles Dickens' writings, and he says in Christmas Carol, describing Scrooge, you know, uh, grasping covetous old sinner, right? You know, this scraping, grasping, this guy that's just climbing over everybody to get what he wants. Uh, and and uh, Judas is contrasted in verse 2, that self-seeking, self-promoting love contrasted with the others, God first, others ahead of me, serving up to them kind of love that Jesus has. Does that make sense? All right. So then uh, point number two in our outline, Jesus humbles himself with an example of self-sacrificing love, having... Um, <clears throat> Just before this, remember, Luke tells us that just before this, they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And that's on your notes, too, at the very top. There's sort of a clip from that anyway, where he says, you know, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those in authority over them are called benefactors. They, they love to portray themselves as these wonderful leaders when, in fact, they just use their office to take advantage of other people, right? Um, but not so with you. Rather... Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader, as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you, what? As the one who serves, right? And, and, and that, I believe that, that he says those words, and then he gets up and he washes their feet. What a powerful, powerful not only the verbal rebuke, but the visual rebuke to them, right? And, and Jesus, again, he's not just saying, you know, do as I say, not as I do, right? He gets up, takes his robe of Lord and teacher off, and puts on the garment of a servant. And what a beautiful image that is of what he did through his whole life, right? He takes off his his divine nature, as it were, in heaven. Not, not not saying that Jesus became undivine or something. Can't unbe what you are, right? He is God. But what he did was he he set aside his 
right to be worshipped, rights to be served by angels and men, his right to be exalted and, and as, as creator and as, as judge and as God, he set that aside and took on flesh, right? And, and, and what a beautiful image that is of him taking off that robe and putting on the garment of the servant. And he came, as Paul says in, in Philippians 2, have this mind in you, which was in Christ, right? You all be like that. And me too. Right. And goes this way too. Um, that this is this is what Christians are to be. Well, that's what we're going to see here in point number four because Jesus is going to apply this um, foot washing. Well, point number three happens in between that though. Everything is going great until Peter speaks up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, it's it's good thing that he did, and of course that's you know part of God's plan. Peter was is expressing here the embarrassment and shame that they all feel. Okay. Uh, Dad thinks, and I agree with him, that it was probably quite, very quiet. Up to this point, it's been very noisy in the room. Noisy with a buzz of excitement, you know, because any time now Jesus is really going to take his throne and the leaders are going to be pushed aside and that evil, he's already cleansed the temple a few days earlier, right? And 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 he's going to uh, take care of those that wicked uh, evil system and restore true worship in Israel and people are going to come in mass and support him and, and the Gentiles are going to be kicked to the curb where they belong. He's going to establish his kingdom, right? And the disciples are all buzzing and they're arguing about which of them is going to have that better place, <laughs> right? And, and, and now it's quiet. Because the Lord has rebuked them and he's getting up and he's washing their feet. Their king, their master, their Lord is doing this. Ah, man. They're feeling the sting of that rebuke. Do you feel that too? Yeah. I know I, as I've been studying this again, as I've mentioned to, to you all, you know, the Lord convicted me some years ago and I have to, he has to constantly remind me of this. Am I, you know, it's one thing to, you know, maybe you might say elementary school Christianity is, is okay. So I need to serve others. I need to, consider others better than myself right again philippians 2 you know uh, i need to serve other people all right so so okay so i got to do this and i'm serving right and and, and okay i'll come in let's take an example let's say vbs right and i come in i say okay well, how can i help right? okay well we really need somebody to change poopy diapers back let's just hypothetical okay we're not really supposed to have babies here but sometimes i do show up all right so <laughs> so we, we you know okay but rather you know before with like I'm not going to do that. You know, somebody else do that, right? Now, okay, well, now this this Christian thing, okay, so we've got to serve. All right, so I'll do that. But graduation level Christianity is not just serving, but as Paul said in Philippians 2, have this what? Mind in you, this attitude, this perspective in you. Okay, because Christ, as he's doing this, and that's what verse 1 tells us, is his love for them was unmixed. It's 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 not the kind of love. Well, I'm serving you guys. I sure hope you see how awesome I am. You know, as I'm doing this thing, I hope the pastor notices. Right? Uh, I say that because I've been there. Right? I've been there many times. Okay. Well, I got the Christian thing down, so I kind of blend in, and you know, we're supposed to serve and do things. Okay. But what's your, you know, what's the Lord looking at? Is He looking at your service? Heart. It's your heart. Right. Mm -hmm. See, that's what Jesus, that's what John is giving us in verse 1 is, and what Paul is, is, is admonishing us again in Philippians 2, is, is, is it's not just the serving, it's not just the washing of the feet, it's 
What is your attitude? Are you serving up to people or are you serving down to them? Are you doing this from a lofty perspective and say, well, you know, you're less than I. I have a greater position in the kingdom, you know, right? Or, or are you serving up to them with an unmixed, pure love, wanting the best for them? Wow. Raise your hand if that's you all and the time. Do you do it even though you don't know people? And even though you get no recognition, like what you were saying before, you know, you do said different things. And it's, okay, I know Erica didn't want to say anything. Okay, I don't say, I'm just using her for this example. The, the stuff that she does in the church, you know, I mean, what would our church be looking like if she didn't come in every Thursday, fix the flowers, fix the plate, you know, clean the toilets, things like that, but she does pick out the trash. I'm not saying that because I know Eric does not like that me to do that. But I'm using her as an example. Nobody sees her coming on Thursdays. Nobody knows that she comes here. But we see that she does, but her, her attitude is, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this for the church anyway. Nobody even knows I'm going to do it. But when I'm coming on Sunday morning, it's so much nice. You know? And, um, but I'm sorry, Eric. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to embarrass her. I'm not trying to embarrass her. <laughs> nobody knows that she comes in. I mean, she doesn't do it, you know, she's not like her. <laughs> there goes your reward, Erica. She know you don't know that she's here, but she she does it anyway. Because that's your attitude. Well, you know what? As good as that is, and as commendable as that is, and only Erica and the Lord know this, the Holy Spirit knows it better than Erica. If she comes in and does all of those self-sacrificing things, but her heart is in the wrong place, the Lord still has a problem with that. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. And I know because I've been there many times. I've done exactly that. I've I've, I've done other things, you know, in the church too. And and there are times when my attitude isn't right, and and I'm like, yeah, why am I the only one that has to do this? You know, why does anybody can appreciate that? You know what I'm saying? And it gets in there, and, and next thing you know, you're you're whoop, you know, yeah, you're doing the thing, and, and people maybe people appreciate it, you smile, thank you, you know. But is the Lord pleased with your heart? Because mm -hmm. this is what he's looking at. Mm -hmm. What's your attitude, right? Again, verse one, unmixed, unmitigated love that Jesus had. He loved them to the max, to the uttermost, to, to the fullest extent. It's pure 100 percent USDA grade. Love. I have a question about that. So, my question is um, not necessarily, it's kind of more about like um, separating like the, the um, church community versus like the people, the secular community. Like, is that more based on our brothers and sisters in Christ? Versus like the secular community, like who doesn't believe in Jesus, like let's say, like you know, like um, let's say you're somewhere and you're like volunteering and you know you work with a bunch of drug addicts or something. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, is that because I know some of the and that's where I get confused sometimes with the Bible because some of it's directed towards how you're supposed to treat your Christian family versus mm -hmm. you know other people who are in. Mm -hmm. So, what, um, I guess I'm just trying to. So, what do you? So, what are your thoughts on that? I guess as far as it comes, as, as much as it comes with with the word. Uh, well, what? How did how did Jesus model this love? 
Did, did he did he show this kind of this level of love only to those who believed in him? No. He showed it to now. This love comes out maybe in different ways sometimes. But for example, in chapter five, uh, or or in chapter eight, those two particularly <coughs> chapters, yeah, chapter eight especially. So chapter five and chapter eight, and some of chapter ten as well. When he is confronted by his enemies, these are the people that hate him, and everybody knows that they hate him, right? The Jews, John calls them. When Jesus confronts them about the error of their doctrine, you know, for example, in chapter five, he says, he says, you search the scriptures diligently, you work in them, you labor in them because you think that they, because uh, you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which speak to me, and you won't come to me, refuse to come to me unless you have eternal life. In chapter 8, he says to them, uh, he warns them that they are not the sons of Abraham that they think they are. You're not the sons of God that you think you are. You're sons of the devil. Right? And and he, but when when you read that in English, there's no inflection, there's no tone, there's no facial expressions, whatever. Uh, when you read passages like, really hard passages like um, uh, uh, Matthew 20. 23, right? We're, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you. You know what he's literally saying to them? Damn you. That's what he's saying to them. Okay? that When a prophet would speak woe, that's what it means. That's why it's a strong word in our language, right? It means condemnation is waiting for you, right? But when he says that to them, it's not in, in anger and in joy in seeing them suffer. It's out of love for them. So, it's the same love, but it just expresses itself differently depending on the needs of the people that are, because he sees the needs of the people that are. Why is that better? Yeah, that makes sense. So it's not yeah. like a discriminating love. Well, you're, you're not a Christian, so I don't love you. Yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a great question. So Jesus, in speaking about that, says, you know, be as your heavenly father is, right? For he is merciful to those who are ungrateful to them. So that he causes his son to shine and rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. And you are no more like God than when you show mercy and kindness to people who are rude and, 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 and selfish and, and hate God, hate your God and tell you to your face, you know, or maybe people who just sort of ignore you and, you know, you know what I'm saying, take advantage of you. Yeah. It's one it's one love. Yeah, yeah great question. Great question. Okay, um, so and just moving quickly through our, our outline, uh, we looked at Peter's reaction last time. That's point number three, right? For foot walking. This is verses six through eleven. <clears throat> uh, let's let's pick up there in the text. John chapter thirteen, verses six through eleven. <clears throat> he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "So the Lord's washing the feet, right? And he's coming. He comes now to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet?'" Notice the, the respect there, right? Okay, Lord, do you wash my feet? It's not, um, Peter doesn't, is not asking the question, oh, you, you're not going to leave me out, right? No, no. That's the point is, Lord, that's the name, the title. What Peter's really saying through a question is, you shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. This isn't your place. This isn't normal for the, the king and the master and the teacher the, the, and that's what Jesus' point is in Luke, right? Who is greater? The one who 
serves the one who sits at the table, reclines at the table, right? Uh, and, and, and so in the natural order of things, you shouldn't be doing this. This is like the, the, the president of the United States coming down and, and oh, your shoe's tied and kneeling down and tying your shoe or something, right? I mean, he just doesn't do that, right? He's got servants that can, you know, take care of these problems. And Peter's expressing what they're all thinking with that. Lord, this is out of place. Verse 7, <clears throat> Jesus answered him, what am I, what I'm doing uh, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. We talked about that. What is after what? Right? Uh, well, after the resurrection, uh, and when the Lord began to teach them in the scriptures, and then especially after the Holy Spirit, right, came and they began to really get a hold of it. And, and he's going to say that. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that he will call to your remembrance everything I said, and he will instruct you. He will teach you. And that's still true today. You know, it's yeah. not, again, that's why I say the Bible won't save you. I didn't say it. Jesus did, right? We just quoted that. Uh, John 5, uh, 39 and 40, very important verses to memorize. The Bible doesn't save you. This points you to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes and takes this water and makes it living water, right? All right, so, so that's true for them, too. Uh, after the Holy Spirit, they will understand. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. The strong Greek yeah, negative. Okay. You shall never under any circumstances or any under any condition, as dad likes to translate that, which I think is good. You shall never, never, never wash my feet. Peter going to extremes here, right? Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And we looked at that, right? And then Peter says, Well, then wash my whole body, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, again, Peter is demonstrating what Jesus just said. You don't get it yet. You don't understand. What's Jesus really talking about here? Is he is he saying, look, if I don't wash your feet, you're you're not saved? No. Teaching servanthood. Teaching he's, how to servanthood. He's teaching servanthood, but this this act of washing here, physical washing, is an illustration of what? Spiritual washing. Spiritual, uh, spiritual cleansing. Uh, the, the walking of regeneration by the word. I was just looking at that yesterday. The scripture uses a number of illustrations for this. Okay, so back in chapter 3 we, it was called the new birth. Okay, and, and he says there you have to be born of spirit and water, right? Mm -hmm. What is that? That's the living water. That's the spirit of God taking the word of God and applying it to your heart in a way that only he can. Not enough just hear the Bible read or even read it yourself or even study it intensely you have to have the spirit of god come and bring new life where you were dead before right uh, back to ezekiel 36 that new covenant first around verse 25 that new covenant i'll take out your heart of stone for the heart of flesh right so in chapter 3 it's called the new birth in chapter 11 it's the, the chapters 5 and 11 it's it's called the uh, uh resurrection it's likened to a resurrection it's a spiritual resurrection Okay, we looked at that. Remember, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm both resurrection for your body and also resurrection for your soul. Okay, because you need that. Uh, so here he is talking to him about that washing. We're going to see that again if you want proof of that. That's uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 3, where he says, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Right? It's the same word, it's the same idea. When we get there, we'll We'll look at that more in terms But what he's talking about here is that washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, through the words that Jesus has spoken, because he's giving them the word of God, right? 
It's not my testimony. The words I speak to you are from my Father. Right? And so it's the word of God. Jesus is a faithful witness, giving them that. The Holy Spirit takes that word and works it into the hearts of those who the Father is drawing to Jesus. See how all that works? It's the Father's appointment. And it, it um, to the other disciples back in chapter 6, who didn't get this washing, they are the branches, the unfruitful branches that are cut off. That's a lot, I know. But trust me, we'll, we'll revisit this ground a lot, okay? When we get to chapter 15, this will make a lot more sense, okay? You do not understand now, but you would. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. Um, so he says, Simon Peter's wash, wash all of me. And then Jesus simply says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, which but it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. So, you know what I think Jesus is getting at here in verse 10 is, look, Peter, you and the other disciples have already been called and chosen. He's going to tell them here in, in a few chapters, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Okay? And so, you have been chosen by the Father to be love gifts for me, and the Father and I have chosen you together, and we have, by the Holy Spirit, the who listens, by the way, to the Father and the Son, right, has has already worked in your hearts and is bringing you to me, even though your minds don't quite get it all yet, you're, you're already there. Well, then why do you need this washing of your feet? Well, because we walk through the world, right? And as they're, as they're living, what a beautiful illustration, yeah. right? As they're, as they're walking the dusty, dirty streets where animals poop and there's, there's just muck and mire and garbage around, and it, you know, the, even with sandals on, it's still the open toe. You know how it is. Uh, when I go to the beach, you know, we I bring my flip flops and we'll walk around all day. And by the end of the day, it's like, man, it's just, man, I've got to wash my feet before I get in bed, right? Uh, well, it's that way too with them. And what a beautiful illustration it is of us who have already been regenerated. Our souls are clean, but we get the dust of the world on our feet, so to speak. We, you know, the perspectives of the world, you know, begin to skew you and pull you in different directions. And so Paul says in Romans 12, you know, uh, uh, 12 verse 2, after you offer your bodies living sacrifices, do not let the world conform you any longer to its mold. That's what he's, he means the same thing. Stop allowing the world to dictate to you how you think and the perspective you have in life. Because as a person thinks, as Eric had a few weeks back, right, talking about the heart and the importance of, of what you put in. Dad said the same thing. What you put in will come back out, right? What you indulge in routinely. So be put up those filters. And, and uh, you know, we all have to do that, right? But but point is, and, and that's why we pray, you know, uh, here at, at this church and other churches, you know, when, when I come in the morning, my prayer is not just that Lord would open his word to us, but he would open it wherever it's being opened to the hearts of the people around the world and apply it to them because... We all need that. We need this washing to get the dust of the world from this past week off. That makes sense. Get our vision and oh, that's right, eternal things, not temporal things. Right. Put this back in your mind. You know, Peter, back in verse nine for a second. <clears throat> I don't think Peter was uh, act, acting or speaking sarcastically to reason. I think this shows the true heart of Peter. It says Simon Peter exclaimed, "Then wash my hands and my and my head as well." 
not just my people. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, he's he's wanting to be part of Jesus. That's right. Of that group. So it's not a sarcastic thing like if you're just gonna wash wash my feet, then wash the rest of them. Right. You know, yeah. He wants to be part. So he doesn't understand, like you said. <clears throat> so what's all of you? Well, I can be part of you. You know. That's right. I think that's sometimes something we can overlook. No, that's a great point, Larry. And I, I certainly don't mean to um, belittle or make fun of him. It's just fun to see his personality coming yeah. out of one stream or the other. Yeah. But you know, you're right, you're absolutely right. Jesus or Peter here is is expressing a genuine love, at least as much as he can, for Jesus. For what he understands. Now he thinks his love is a lot better than it is, and he's going to find out. And so in chapter 21, it's really great how the Lord asks him those questions three times, Do you yeah. love me? Right. Mm -hmm. And so so he's going to He's going to restore Peter, imperfect as his love is, right? His love is not at the level of, of verse 1. His love is not like Jesus' love. Mm -hmm. But he does love the Lord. Which, by the way, the fact that, that he and the rest of the disciples are still with him, except for Judas, who's about ready to be cut off. Okay, But back in chapter 6, remember, we saw a bunch of disciples cut off, right? A bunch of branches were already cut off. And here, but the fact that these are still with him and will be with him, um, you know, right to, to the end, um, demonstrates not that they just have staying power where others don't, like they're just smarter, better people, but the fact that, that God has chosen them and He is grafted them in, and He's working, working their hearts so that they can, and that's part of the fruit is, is the faithfulness to the end. Good point, Larry. Good point. So, so yes, Peter is he loves the Lord. He like, okay, man, if it takes washing, I'm I'm all in, head to toe, man, you know. Don't just do my feet, you know, let's do the whole thing. So yeah, he's he's definitely on board with the, with the Lord. Which is good, you because the Lord is patient with all of us as we grow, right? We don't always know those things. But if you have a genuine love for, for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that wasn't put there by you. Mm, so it right. was put there by God. Mm. And as, as as Jesus told Peter, even, you know, he says, When what do, what do people say to I am? And they give all these lists. And what do you say I am? And Peter says, You are, to use the old English is one I remember, the art Christ, the Son of the Living God, right? What does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. The flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my who? Father, Father in heaven. In heaven. This came from God. The fact that you know that's the that is the and when he goes on to say, "Upon this rock I build my church," he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about that statement: "You are Lord." Jesus is Lord is the foundational statement of the church, not just the doctrinal statement to put on a plaque or a hallmark card, but something that that you believe from your heart and you you dedicate yourself, devote yourself to that at the sacrifice of everything else. Okay, that's the foundation on which he will build his church. I just realized that Jesus even washed Judas's feet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He did. He washed Judas's feet. Yeah. Knowing what he was going to do. Knowing what he's going to do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, let's keep rolling because uh, we have 15 minutes roughly to try to finish up the last point. Oh, man. Okay. There's so much here, y'all. I hope, hope we're not wearing you out. But all right. So, um, Verse uh, 11 uh, says that he knew he was going to betray him. Not For this reason, said not all of you are clean, right? Judas is, is the one 
remaining branch here who has not yet has not been converted and he will not be unfortunately um, by the way Peter that's how you explain the difference between Peter and Judas not that they both defected in very public and very visible and very violent ways even you know Judas was kissing Jesus but Peter was calling down curses from heaven God strike me dead if I'm telling you it's not true I don't know this okay very you know it was not it was not that Peter's was somehow a little better than Judas's no they both the difference was that Peter was chosen, called to that. And Judas was also, uh, had a place for him too, but, but God did not activate warfare. And so we see we see in Judas, by the way, where all of us can be apart from the work of God. He prevented from being there. Pete, That's sobering mind. But Judas did it for his selfish ambition. Peter did it because he was scared when he denied Christ. You know, he was, he knew what was ahead of him. The sinful man, both of them had the sinful nature. But what I see in Peter, and I, I totally wrong, but I'm saying is you put yourself in his shoes. He knew what was going to happen. And he was just, I think at that moment he was scared. And then when he, when he denied him the third time and the rooster crowed, I, I, I could just see that Jesus was looking him right in the eye. Right then it broke that man. And, and we see godly repentance rather than worldly sorrow. Yeah. Yeah, but you didn't see that in Judas. So. No, you didn't. Well, you saw worldly sorrow, but not not repentance. Not repentance. Right. All right. Let's move on to 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 point number four. Jesus teaches the lesson. What is the point of this foot washing? Well, thankfully, we don't have to speculate endlessly. You know, read commentaries. The Lord tells us. You know, and and even though He tells us here, the reason He tells us and tells them and tells us as well is is because. Um, he just got through saying, you don't understand this yet. And even after he tells them, they still, it's going to take a while. It's going to take the Holy Spirit, really, to work this in, right? Just like it is with us. But again, the Lord's patience. He serves us anyway, even though we don't fully understand, misunderstand, misappropriate, read his word, come up with a wrong conclusion, to love you anyway. That's good. So let's, let's move on. Uh, verses 12 through 17. Um Let's read a verse at a time and we'll, we'll talk about it. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Notice, first of all, that he, uh, he, he, he what did he do before he sat back down? He sit down in the, in, the, in the cloth of the servant, the towel of the servant? No. No, he puts on his outer garments, which implies that he took off, right? So remember, John is really making, a, you see how he's making a point in that? I mean, why does that detail matter? Why does it matter what Jesus took on or put off? You know, the foot washing is the deal. No, no, this is a very beautiful image, again, of, of him as the Lord and Master, the creator of everything. God, the most high God who is to be worshipped, the eternal Father, taking that off and putting on flesh, right? And, and serving them. And, and, and so the, him putting that back on, he's now he's now out of the servant role and he's now in back into the teaching role, right? And that visual, again, helps them and us to see that transition. So he's now back in the teaching role. He is teacher and Lord, okay? He says that to them, uh, that the tail end of the, by the way, that question tail end of verse 12 do you understand what I've done to you? He just got through saying, you don't understand now, but you will later, right? Yeah. So it's really what he's 
it's a I love the mastery of the Lord, right? He doesn't say to them after he's done washing and puts his robe back on, he doesn't sit down and say, There, that's how it's done. Just you know, you guys, you're so thick. You're so after three years of me serving and teaching about humility and all of this, you guys are still arguing about who's best in the kingdom and all that, and you still don't get it. He didn't say that, right? What he does instead is he uses this question to basically tell them, you don't understand yet. What you think you know is not really the truth. Okay? It's a great, do you see that? He knows already, he's already said you don't understand. But by asking that diagnostic question, what he's really getting them to say, to admit is, Maybe we don't be like that. Because they were, I mean, just a few moments earlier, they were all like, well, I'm better than you are. I I know, but I, you know, I, I, I. And here he's getting them to say, maybe we don't get this. Yeah. So let's go on. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. In, in the Greek, uh, um, that's, a, that's not the word rabbi, but rabbi would be, the uh, Hebrew and Aramaic, Hebrew and Aramaic are very similar languages, but that's the Hebrew designation for it. Uh, you know, that's why sometimes in the Bible, people call him Rabboni, or which translated means teacher, right? So because they're using the Aramaic term rather than Greek, but in the Greek it means the same thing. It does mean teacher, and Lord is karyos, right? We know that's a very common word throughout the New Testament. For Lord, okay, those are his two roles here that he highlights, not his only roles, but the ones he's highlighted here in this context. As the teacher, he's about to teach them. But as the Lord, you guys are right, Peter, in saying that I shouldn't have had to do that, All right? And that's the lesson here, okay, necessarily, okay? Actually, the lesson is, as the greater one, the Lord, if I do that, even I, in my exalted position, do this. How much more should you, who are the slaves, literally, do loss, okay, do it for one another? That's really going to be a lesson. So you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Don't miss that tail end there. I am. Right? He is God. Um, verse 14, if I then, and he reverses it here, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you what? That's why I, I take this back again and again and again to Philippians 2, where Paul provides this, right? Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, and consider others better than yourself. You know, uh, uh, put their needs ahead of your own. Why? Because if the Lord did that, how much more should you and I, as redeemed, unworthy sinners who bring nothing of any value to the game, so to speak, right? How much more? This is the argument from the greater to the lesser is what that is. Then he says to them in verse 16, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, a servant... It's in the ESV, it says servant. The NASB says slave. Uh, Weiss translates that as slave, and that's a better translation. Uh, Legacy Standard Bible, which just came out, which I highly recommend, uh, uses consistently the words, the English word slave for that word doulos, okay? 
and that and that's a that's a Greek uh, a Greek word for slave. It means slave. It doesn't mean uh, chattel slavery like we had in this country, where people were captured against their will by their enemies. By the way, that was uh, black people capturing other black people and selling them. Okay, it wasn't white. You know, the whole thing wasn't white people's idea. Slavery's been around for thousands and thousands of years. It was really an ancient credit system is what it was, right? Today we have bankruptcy courts and things like that to deal with people who can't pay back their debts. But in that time, a slave was a person who owed a debt and was trying to work to pay it off. And you, and because of that, you really didn't have a say in what the master is uh, tells you to do, right? If you're tired, too bad. If the master sits down and says, you know, prepare and fix me some food, you do it. <laughs> well, I'm tired. I... And you do it. That's a doulos. And this was the position of a doulos to the one who, without complaining, maybe they have some internal gripes about it, but it doesn't it never comes out of your mouth, right? Because you don't deserve it. You owe the house. And so when your guests, when the master's guests come over, they sit down and you wash their feet while they're enjoying conversation and, 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 and chatting and, 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 you know, all looking good in their robes. And you're down there on the floor in the dirt grind with your little towel on, you know, you know, exposed and looking stupid, washing people's feet. And nobody notices you. You're invisible, right? Because you're a doulos. That's the term here. Is that humbling? Mm. How come we don't hear this much in church? This is a great way to fill up those mega auditoriums, isn't it? No, it isn't. Nobody wants this naturally. Okay. For I've given you an example that you should do as, as I have done. Truly, truly. I'm gonna now listen to me. What he's saying here is listen up. I say to you, a slave is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, I have underlined my Bible. If you know these things. Blessed are you if you what? Do the do it. It's not enough to know, Christian. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. This is our call. We are a doulos. Okay. If the Lord of glory, our Lord, did this, how much more? Now, is his point here? Some churches have a foot washing ceremony that they practice routinely. I've been to a church. I was thinking a couple of years ago, that a friend of mine, my hairdresser, she invited me to her church for a ladies' day, and we did foot washing, which was very humbling. You know, to wash somebody's, well, to wash someone's feet that you don't even know, right. they don't know you, it was really hard for me to let them wash my feet. <laughs> you know, but then it was very, it was very humbling to wash someone else's feet. But it was just a a good picture of that. Just to go through that. I'm not going to put words in their mouth, um, but Jesus is not saying, is not giving a universal command for all churches everywhere to. He's not giving us a sacrament like the Lord's table we got to. His point here is not foot washing, but foot washing as an example of the lowest level that you should be willing to go to as a doulos in the kingdom of God to serve one another, right? Y'all are doulosses. I'm the Lord. I'm the teacher. Y'all are doulosses, okay? 
the servant, the slave here is not greater than his master. Okay. And then you're right. He's not. The Lord shouldn't have had to do this. They should have been doing They should have been knocking each other out. They know they should have been doing it. And they know it now, right? It's but it's an argument again from the greater to the lesser. So yeah. Um, in closing, I want to take us. There's sort of a parallel passage that I found as I was looking up the word doulos and, and where it's used in the New Testament. I found this. So if you want, if you're jotting notes down, if you want to just sort of maybe out to the side of point number four, uh, right in Matthew 10, 24 and 25. Okay. You want to jump us out of context a whole lot, but we're right at time, but we'll finish up here. Matthew 10, 24 and 25. When I read this, I was like, wow, this is really amazing. It actually begins with verse 16, the whole section there. We won't read all of that. But he starts that section, verse 15, or verse 16, rather, uh, Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent of doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, who be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And he says, do not worry about in advance what to say. The Holy Spirit will give that to you. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother to death, father his child. Child will rise up against parents and put them to heaven and put to death. And you will be, worth, look at this, verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Okay, who wants to sign up for Jesus now? Anybody, any volunteers for Camp Jesus, right? No wonder God has to intervene in our life. We don't want that. I, you know, I don't want to be the little slave down there that everybody's making fun of or whatever. The people just misunderstand. The one who endures to the end will be saved. It doesn't mean salvation. It just means that people who are being saved, the only one, the only people who stick around for this kind of calling are those who are being saved. That's what that means. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee the next, uh, and so forth. Now, now let's look at our verses 24, 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Does that sound familiar? It's the same word. It's doulos. Same word. And it's the same word for teacher and master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the, the master of the house Beelzebul, okay, that is a servant of Satan, how much more will they malign those of his house? What I found amazing here, what really got me thinking, okay, so in the upper room, what we just read, Jesus is saying, you all need to serve one another with the self-sacrificing kind of love. There needs to be no limit that you're willing to not go to, to serve one another in pure, unadulterated, unmixed love, as I have demonstrated for you. We've read that. But this context here gives us some, this passage here gives us some context for that same principle, okay? And it's important because it's going to come up in a heavy, heavy way in the chapters in front of us. And here's the point I'm trying to make, and we'll close with this. Why is the Lord so concerned here at this point to change their thinking from self-promotion, like Judas, and like arguing about who can be the greatest, to others' first kind of promotion? He wants them to be like him. Well, it wants them to be like him, but there's a specific reason. This this passage tells us, helps us with that. 
And he's going to tell them, starting in the middle of chapter 15 and going on to 16, why that is. And here's the point. They are going to be persecuted heavily. They're going to be hated in the world. And so it's very important for believers to love each other in the church and to not adopt this kind of snobbery in church that you encounter in the world. James is going to, James really blasts with that, right? When he says, when, when a rich man, a wealthy person comes into your midst and you treat them better than you treat the poor guy sit over there, you know, somewhere, we got a stool over there, you know, are you not being hypocrites? Mm -hmm. So in the church, it's very, very important. Yes, that we're like the Lord, but but that they he prepares them for this persecution that's about to come. Both of those passages, and we're going to see that again. I just thought it was interesting because that Matthew passage brings it right in, connects connects this idea of being he's like be the gone. master with the persecution. He's going to be gone during that process. He's going to be gone. So, yeah. okay. It's going to look like uh, failure. You know, and you're going to need to you're going to need to hold on to each other, right? You're going to need to because there'll be times in the body when people are going to be so beat up in the world that the only place they have to go for encouragement is in the body. And if they come here and all they receive is is condemnation, mistreatment, where in the world they're going to go? Interesting thoughts. Yeah. All right, let's close. <clears throat> Father, there's a lot here, and we've been through a lot, but it's it's uh, there's uh, so much more to come. We thank you so much for the riches of your word. I pray that you will help us to not just, well, isn't that great, and frame it, put it on a, on a mantle somewhere, but to put it in our hearts. As verse 17 says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Lord, that steps on my toes, steps on all our toes, because this is the same kind of love and example that comes down to us through the millennia of other faithful believers and now we're handed the baton so to speak we're given this same mission and it's the same methodology of love for enemies love for one another that is blind to material or physical differences beautiful people versus ugly or people who are kind to us in return or those who are nasty and mean and malicious and hate you, we are to bless and not curse. Help us to be those doulasses who are willing to put aside our own thing to serve you, mm -hmm. our master. And pray this in your name. Pray forevermore. You reign in heaven and uh, in many ways, you reign on earth, although the devil is out there looking to take that reign away from you, but he'll never do it. He'll never accomplish that because, Lord, you reign in our hearts. We are your people, Lord, and, and we, though we are undeserving, yet you reign in our hearts as we give our hearts to you, as we yield our uh, will to your will. You reign in our hearts. And as long as God's people are reigning with you, the devil will not have a victory over our lives. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together, the body of Christ, 
we thank you that you have brought us together this morning. Uh, each one is here by divine appointment, and we thank you for that. And we know, Lord, that you are going to meet us uh, in, in this worship service this morning. You're going to meet us in, our, in this church, and you're going to meet each one of us individually. Lord, we, we open ourselves up to you this morning, Lord, and, and we want to lift up uh, you in our hearts and in our praise, and Lord, with our lips, because you are so worthy, so worthy, Lord, of our praise and thanksgiving, and we, we lift ourselves to you this morning. And ask God for your blessing to be upon this servant today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.